And welcome back, Chelsea fans. This is part two of uh, season two, episode number 32. Could you believe we're on 32 episodes now? I mean, it's kind of crazy. Um, I'm joined by Andres. In case you guys listened to the first part, um, we chatted about the Cardiff City match. We broke everything down. We tried to make sense of it. We tried our best not to cry. Um, but now we're on part two. We're going to talk about Chelsea news. We also had a couple of Twitter questions that we want to address. Um, so, yeah, I mean, if you guys didn't listen to part one, make sure you check it out. Um, you can hear my little tidbit, little story about how my dad actually got to meet Zinedine Zidane. If you just want to hear ooh. kind of a nice little story rather than the depressing reality that was that Chelsea Cardiff match. So That's a and it's one. at the beginning of the episode. So you don't even have to stick around for the depressing part. Yeah, and then and then if you listen about halfway through the episode, Andres actually says fuck, which is usually <laughs> my job on the show. So that's always cool. Um, let's dive right into it. Um, so at N-word, uh, or N-Ward, N-Ward. We made this mistake last time too. <laughs> N-Ward. Um, he hit us up. And this guy had a do he had a he had a few awesome questions. We talked about a lot of it in part one, so we couldn't squeeze all his questions in, but we included two. And I think that's good enough. And they're very colorful. So get ready to laugh a little bit. So uh, N. Ward uh, said, I had a writing professor who told me sometimes the best way to say something is to just say it. I've retyped this question six times trying to censor myself, but still communicate ineffectively. <laughs> Fuck it. Iguain looks like a bag of dicks. Is there any hope for him to find this form? <laughs> Iguain looks like a bag of dicks. You can take this one first. <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm just going to go ahead and start with Sari's quotes um, that he said about Iguain, And he said, quote, Iguain is struggling with English football. Well, guess what, Maurizio? That's fucking wonderful. Tell us something we don't know. And, like, by the way, thanks for reassuring Chelsea fans all over the fucking world that we basically loaned out Murata to bring in a fatter and more disinterested version of the Spaniard. Like, this is on you. Don't go whining to the press making excuses. Oh, the physicality. Oh, he can't handle this. He can't handle that. This is your boy. You backed him up. You have to take the fall on this one. And you were the one that said in the beginning of the season, I don't need transfers. I can work with what I have. We got you a transfer. You bragged about your ability to coach. So coach, do your fucking job. That's all I have to say about that. Like, I'm so fed up with these excuses and this bullshit and all this nonsense. There's no more excuses at this point if you're Maurizio Sorry, You have had since the fucking new year when our form started taking a nosedive to change things up and you still haven't done it. We went out. We got your boy. The board came through for once. And now you're still making excuses? That's bullshit. Yeah, I mean, I... <laughs> Is there hope for him? Sure. But that means that we actually have to be playing, like, good football. And that's the thing. Like, you're having we're, – we're watching Iguain pick up the ball at, at midfield. And Iguain does not have the pace, never had the pace, to then turn around and, and beat five guys and get to the goal. He's always been a poacher, and he operates well when he's in that final third where his runs are, like, going to be into the box. And the one thing that we never do is play Higuain into the box. Is that completely justifying his performances? No. Does that kind of make me think that, you know, had he been somewhere else, like had he stayed at Juventus, could he be doing better? Sure. But 
At Milan, he wasn't getting service. Here, he's getting less service, and he's trying to get involved. But then when he has to drop all the way to midfield to get the ball, you're asking him to then run all the way back to the box, and then he's not getting the ball, and then he's getting it. Like, he is misusing his energy because of as a team, we just are not playing well, and we are not playing good offensive football. So it sucks to, like, realize that the forward that we got can't, help us in that regard because if in a perfect world he should just be operating around the box and that's where we op- we are as a team the worst so yeah I, I, i've just i've just you know come to accept that Iguain is most likely a tap-in merchant at this stage in his career at least yeah i, I mean, mean we, we we haven't seen anything else from him i mean and like you said though he's never been the type of player to run past people He's never been a type of player with brilliant technical ability or or a long-range shot. He's just been a guy that pops up at the right places at the right time. And we haven't seen it at Chelsea. And I just don't like that Maurizio Sarri is going out and making excuses for him. No, just, this definitely makes Sarri looks worse because – and here's one thing I pointed out last game specifically. The moment that both of Sarri's boys were off the pitch is when we looked best. Yeah. Jorginho and Iwain were off when both goals happened. Yeah. Or, yeah, it's true. Wait, were they? I'm sorry. I might be talking out of my ass. I know Iguain for sure wasn't in the pitch. and Which, I think, Well, Jorginho came out for Loftus-Cheek. Right. Okay. So, yeah. Then I'm, yeah. I'm right then. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You are right. And and, and he, we talked about it in part one how sorry wanted to put out a team that was there the whole two weeks and whatnot. Jorginho came off because he actually played for Italy. I just want to point that out there because we didn't really include it in part one. I don't think I included his name at least. Mm-mm. But um, N. Ward had another question for us. He asked, what's the story with Michi Batshuayi? Does he have a future at Chelsea? I see a young, strong, athletic striker who has a good attitude and work ethic. Discarded by two managers. Italian accent. Why are the Italians know I like the Batman? <laughs> that was my best impression at an Italian accent right there. Man, so, I, lo- I mean, I he asked it. me to do it. I had to do it. I mean, I, I, I think I think he's like a full-fledged ultra now. I think it's <laughs> safe to say. Um, but w- what do you think? Man, he I, seems I think to kind of find his form. He has scored. And let me just – this is – thank you, London, his blue pod, for pointing this out. At his time at Palace, he has scored as many goals as Higuain. And he's not even the outright starter at Palace. And he's on a team that creates a fraction of the chances. It, it, right, right. He's he's technically in a, in a lower quality team, and yeah. he's scoring. Is he a poacher much like Iguain? Sure. But he can make those run-ins from behind and the through balls and that sort of thing. So my best guess of Mishi's future depends on who is managing Chelsea next season. Because yeah. sorry had a chance to, I mean, yes, a, a limited summer, but sorry was with him this summer, and he said nope, see ya. So, I, if you get, bring a guy, and I think we're gonna get to this soon, if you bring someone that's gonna play more, more direct, less diddly daddling with possession, and, and is trying to to push the envelope and get balls into the box and and cut back crosses and through balls, then I think that Mishi has what it takes. Um, yeah. He can easily get double digits goals in a season. So 
That's the thing that drives me crazy about the whole Iguain debate is like I call them a tap in version. Maybe that's a little harsh on my part, but like he's a poacher to use the footballing term. Mm -hmm. Michi is the same exact type of player. Like the ball naturally finds him in the penalty area and he could finish with either foot. He's decent in the air. He's strong enough to hold off defenders. I mean, the only thing I'm going to say about Michi was the issue with him wasn't necessarily with goal scoring. Because I, as a backup striker, he actually scored a decent amount of goals for us. Right. But he was awful when he needed to lead the line on his own. And yeah, he's very he similar started. to Murata. Exactly. He always – and we always said this too on the podcast last season especially or two seasons ago was he needs a strike partner to combine with in order to be – in order to maximize his value on the pitch, right? And it's weird how we had him and Murata at one point on the same roster and never played them together because you would think that their playing styles would actually kind of complement each other. I, I'm all for bringing Michi back. I know Sam's going to disagree with me when he hears this podcast back. I would love to have him back. I think he's, a we don't really player. have an option anyway. I mean, yeah. we might not get to sign players. And yeah. like you said, Iguain, we might not extend him again, based on who the manager is next season. So mm-hmm. at that point we have, Giroud, who we would need to extend his contract because at this point he's leaving on a free. Uh, Tammy Abraham and Michi Bajoy. There's your yeah. three forwards going into next season. So, again, I, I think it comes down to who, who the manager is. I think he's got the, the skill for it. I don't ever think he's going to be like a 30-goal scorer for Chelsea. But, Mm-mm. I mean, eh, I mean, yeah, I guess we just need to find the right guy that, that wants to play the football that can benefit uh, Michi's uh, style. Exactly. Um, we have another question from another ultra. Actually, all our questions are from Roman's Empire Ultras. <laughs> hashtag Rep Ultra. That hashtag's actually gaining some traction. I love it. Um, but at Chelsea Eric said, can Jody Morris be our Gareth Southgate? I Okay. <laughs> I'm going to do him one better because I kept – saying this last season whenever Conte was getting you know Conte was on the outs sorry deal wasn't in the really in the works can Jody Morris be the equivalent of when Pep Guardiola went from Barcelona B to Barcelona A with Chelsea that is what I was asking for last time you bring him in with a short-term sight as the fact that next season we have a transfer ban Next season, we need to play the kids. Oh, I wonder who led those kids to a bunch of freaking success. Jody Morris. Much like Pep Guardiola, who took over from a good, like, from a great manager, he was tasked to take on a bigger role, obviously. But here's the difference. Barcelona is always going to have to win the league and do great. We have zero expectations going into next season. Let's be real. If Jordy Morris steps for the foot first into time this, in a very long time, right. first time under the Abramovich era, if Jody Morris were to step in, Callum Hudson Odoi is signing a 20-year deal. Yeah, because under Jody Morris, Callum Hudson Odoi's numbers were astronomical in the academy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, you would see actual progress of players in the youth, which we'll need to have a big focus on again because we don't have a transfer ban. And and Jody played, if I'm not mistaken, either a 4-2-3-1 or a 4-3-3, or he was actually flexible on that end. And it worked. And he wasn't – like, he was scoring goals. 
Like, I, I think they won the FA Cup too. Like, they, the, the point is he succeeded with the youth team, so he knows these players. He played with – he had Reese James. He had Mason Mount temporarily. He had Callum Hudson-Odoi. Um, yeah, I, I, I think because of the situation we're in, that's unfortunately the kind of manager we can drag, bring in or need to bring in. It's either going to have to be Terry, Lampard, Steve Holland, or Jody Morris. For me, last season, Jody Morris was an actual candidate. And I thought, okay, this is a cheap guy that we can bring in for a year until next season when more managers are available. Because that's that's the thing. Worst case scenario, this was just a one-year kind of project. Best case scenario, you found the next freaking crazy good manager that you just had in your backyard the whole time. Or you so, find that crazy good manager and say don't the only rule is he's your number two, and kind of do like what Michael Carrick is doing with Solskjaer, or or uh, or what um, his name's escaping my head completely. Arteta's doing with Pep Guardiola, where you take a player that understands a club, understands a culture, you have him shadow a top manager for a while. And then after that top manager leaves, you have your immediate successor right there without changing philosophy, without changing playing style, without you know shaking up the roster too much. And that's the thing – I guess that's the issue I had or the only skepticism I had heading into the Sari hiring was that when I saw Zola was his number two, I knew that it was – that there was a lot of potential for it to go really sour because we know Zola's reputation as a coach is not that – is not the greatest. He's just yeah. not a good coach. And he doesn't have that personality to be that. He's too nice. So, I mean, maybe bringing in a guy like Jody Morris and having him work under a top manager for a year, two years, maybe even three years, and get a sense for, you know, why why that manager is a top manager and just study everything and work with him day in and day out, learn from him, and then take the reins. That's such a smarter succession plan than this stupid ass revolving door managers that we have at Chelsea right now. Oh, where Zach, that takes planning long term, and we just we don't, don't have do that. that. Yeah, <laughs> we don't have that. We don't have that at all. And I guess that's where we could kind of leave that conversation because it's yeah. just unrealistic to assume. Um, at, Nick Lenartson, obviously, probably the OG ultra. Um, he reached out to us again. And it's not a question, but it's a, it's a statement, and I just want to talk about it. I want to get your point. He tweeted, Christensen's on the bench while Rudy is clearly off pace. I touched upon this in the first in, in, in part one of the podcast, but in case you guys missed it, um, I don't think this is a question per se, but it's still a great point. And we talk about the players needing to be taken out of the firing line to regain some type of form. We mentioned guys like Alonzo, Barkley, Kovacic. Jorginho, even Morata when he was on a squad earlier this season. Um, and I do think it's time that Sari takes a serious look at our center back pairing and considers guys like Rudiger and Luis to be rotated more regularly this offseason or, or this season because Rudiger was fantastic at the start. He was probably one of our only bright spots when things started going sour in November. His form carried on through the beginning of the new year and then really tailed off. And David Louise, you just don't know what you're going to get from him, period. It is inconceivable to me as to why Christensen is so far behind in the pecking order. If Christensen's not number one or two, that's fine. 
but being number three for me is not good enough. If we were rotating our center backs every two or three matches and Christensen was coming in and out of the side and staying fresh and, you know, sorry, had a real rotational plan going on, kind of like what Pep has at City or what Klopp has at Liverpool when when they're fully fit, minus Van Dyke because he has to play every game or else Liverpool has a shit back line. <laughs> like, like it's just it, – it, it's ridiculous to me. And prior to the season starting – if you ask me where Christensen would stand at this point in the season on April 1st, 2019, I would have told you that Christensen and Rudy would be our starting center back pairing at this stage of the season. And the fact that we haven't seen him in enough Premier League matches is an absolute joke. So, yeah. I mean, w- w- what do you think about that? And, or, or let me rephrase that. Which one would you rather swap Christensen for right now at this point? For me, honestly, like – I think he would be better suited to play with Rudiger. Um, Rudiger can be the guy that goes in for the hard tackle, and then Christensen's reading the game behind him. Uh, I think – I don't know what it is, and I – yes, actually, I, I take that back. Yes, in Europa League, you play lower competition, but, like, I feel more safe when he's playing. Oh, 100%. Um, and, and we've seen that he's trying to get those long-range passes into his arsenal. He got an assist for Cho. So, like, we know he can do it. He's not looking for it always, but maybe that's not a bad thing that he's not trying to play a 50-yard pass every chance he sees, like, every every five minutes or whatever. Yeah. I really do think that Christensen needs to be involved more. Um, but in this moment in time, Rudiger is the one that needs to take a break. But going into next season, like, Christensen needs to be the starter next to Rudiger. Yeah. And... And honestly, like, Zuma's on fire at Everton. So yeah, he is. He scored this weekend, he, too. He is my dark horse to to go back to my dream center back pairing from I love 14, Zuma. 15, 15, 16. He's when my Zuma, favorite When Zuma was displaced Cahill and we still had Terry, I, I, I was dreaming of a Christensen-Zuma pairing. Yeah, so, me too. Um, I mean, I'll take for now the Christensen and Rudiger pairing, but if this form, dip in form continues, and again with the transfer ban, we have Zuma coming back. You never know, man. I, I really do think Christensen needs to be our starter, though. And and right now the team does need him to start over Rudiger. Yeah, yeah. Um, I want to move on. Um, and and this isn't a Twitter question. But Kalamudson Adoy is in discussions over a new contract. Now, reports are suggesting that he's now open to extending his contract, and the weekly wages are reportedly in the region of 100,000 pounds a week. I've seen numbers going all the way up to 130,000. I don't know how reliable any of those sources were, but that's just what the reports are pointing out. Now, it's clear that he needs to be assured playing time in order to get pen to paper, right? Um, mm-hmm. But do you think there are any other factors at play in him signing? And I'm going to just kind of, you know, pour some fuel on this fire. Uh, other factors like Maurizio Sarri potentially being sacked, the selling of Hazard, or the possibility or non-possibility of Champions League football next season? Um, I think all three of those are definitely factors. Um, I think that even with three points and and – even 
Which, if you were if you were Cho, which factor would you be weighing heavy, uh, heavier more than the others? Like, I think which one just, would you be favoring? I think it's the 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 promise of fate of playing time, and yeah. and that comes easiest by displacing the guy that's taking your preferred position. Mm-hmm. Um, I think he knows that hazards off, for one, but I also think that Bayern has already turned their head elsewhere. They're done dealing with us. I mean, they like, just dropped fifty million on a on a fullback. So on Lucas Hernandez, right? But yeah. they're already there's already talks of them almost finishing a Nicholas Pepe deal. Like they also want Kai Havertz or Kai, Kai Havertz. But but yeah, supposedly that Leverkusen. Deal, yeah, from they, what I've been reading, that deal is targeted for twenty. 2020, excuse me. And they're right, and they're also trying to get a deal. They have personal terms agree with Timo Werner, so mm-hmm. it sounds like. I mean, Serge Gnabry is also on fire for them, so it sounds like they've already kind of said, "Oh, where it doesn't look like this is going to happen, or if it happens, it's going to have to wait another summer when it's on a free." So, I think that also might play a deal. I mean, his agent might just be saying, "Hey, it doesn't look like Bayern's going to do it," and let's be real, Chelsea's not going to sell him to any other like top English club, so. Maybe they're saying, look, Hazard's leaving, um, which opens up that spot. It also there's also the fact that we don't know what's happening with Zari. I think that's the second thing. The fact that maybe we are gonna get a new manager next season, a manager that will believe in Cho and believe in the hype, or maybe just the fact that the board is gonna pressure the next manager to play Cho, because the number I ten jersey the right there. Yeah, the number ten jersey is gonna be available. And the way the hype train has been going. I honestly think Chelsea would be stupid to not give the number 10 jersey to the new, bright, young British talent. When was the last time we actually had the little poster boy of the future of England at Chelsea? Like, we all know Loftus-Cheek is a monster, but he hasn't been spoken about this much, as much as Callum Hudson-Odoi. Yeah, yeah. And, right. and, and, and he's a victim of his own success because he's only had two England caps, and in both England caps, he was one of the brightest spots on the yeah. pitch. But granted, that England side looked unbelievable in the international break. Like, their England's really hitting this peak golden yeah. generation. Like, they're just blessed with talent, especially at the wings. Right. And so, and I do think I do think he's going to sign a new deal. He's also grown up in the Chelsea system. He loves mm-hmm. Chelsea. He's a Chelsea fan. So all those things, I think – were always positives for him to sign. But the biggest is obviously Eden leaving and and the fact that that obviously means – I mean, even Sari admitted that next season he's going to be playing 75 to 80% of the games. Like, as much as Sari has been full of crap and, and been poorly managing what he says about Cho, he's even conceded to the fact that Cho will be playing a lot more come next season. So, I think yeah. the key for me in this is Sari. Because I don't think I don't I don't think Cho is stupid enough to think that even if Hazard stayed, or, or let me rephrase that, I don't think I don't think that that Hazard staying is going to be a factor at all in Cho staying or not, because Cho's not a dumb kid. I mean, he's smart enough to know that Hazard is probably one of the two best players that, that play left wing in the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, he's probably not going to be displaced. Now, Cho, with that being said, I think Cho will be more, more than happy to take up a spot on the right wing. And I think that's where his frustration is lying. Is like, look, you obviously have a clear number one in Hazard. Nobody's arguing. Nobody's complaining. And, and Hazard has been known to get along with his teammates and whatnot. So, so, so that's not even a factor. 
But the fact that he's not playing on the right wing is a big issue, and it only comes down to one person in terms of the reason why he's not playing on the right wing. Pedro's been underwhelming, and William is ineffective on the right. Why not play Cho? Sorry has to play Cho there. And the fact that he's not, I feel like, is the main factor in Cho getting his head turned by Bayern. Obviously, anyone's going to get their head turned when a club like Bayern Munich come calling your name. But in a way... There's really no going back for Cho in terms of the transfer market. Like you said, Bayern might pull out because, you know, they're working on the Kai Havertz deal, the Timo Werner deal. They already got Lucas Hernandez. Um, you know, they're targeting big money signings this summer. And with that being said, if they're not going to put that money towards Cho and, and, and you're an 18-year-old receiving offers from Bayern – what other clubs are going to come in that are going to turn your head at that point that aren't named Real Madrid, Barcelona, or Paris Saint-Germain? You know, and, and that's the thing. is like Real is going after Hazard. They're not looking at Hudson-Odoi. Uh, Barca not really looking to strengthen the they wing position. They have Zambella already. Yeah, I mean, they have they, they, they dropped $40 million on Malcolm last January and haven't even found a spot for him on the team yet. And then you got teams like PSG who have Neymar and Mbappe, so they're not looking for anybody anytime soon to play the wing position. So if you're if you're Cho, like I think it's more out of desperation because the only other option for him is to go to another club in England, and that's not an option. You know what I mean? Like from Cho's perspective, if you're not going to play for P, like you got an offer from Bayern, Bayern turned their heads. The yeah, only teams go I would be looking to go team. through exactly. Or and he's not going to another top six rival, um, unless it's Man United, who Chelsea loves doing business with for whatever Jesus fucking Christ. reason. That's completely. But United, him, but, but that's the thing. United's full of wingers too. Like, exactly. Like as much as as much City, as like they're saying that like I think they're they're aiming to get Sancho, and I think that's because their right wing is like just there is no natural right winger. You have Martial down the left. Rashford is officially their striker. With Lukaku as a backup, mm-hmm. but then you don't have a natural right winger. And Martial, so you got Lingard, and Lingard's not even technically a natural winger either. He's more of like a ten or a supporting yeah. striker. So that's the whole thing. Like I, I, I really do think that the only, the only young British talent that Man United's gonna go after is Jadon San- Sancho, not Hudson Odoi. Yeah, yeah, especially considering that he's a Manchester kid. Right. Um. The last point I want to talk about today, something uh, a little different from what we normally talk about. So we usually don't talk about the whole Premier League. Um, and even though this stemmed from something that happened in a Chelsea match, I still want to kind of talk about it because it's interesting. Neil Warnock had some quotes after the match uh, about the referees. And he said, quote, he's talking about the Premier League. He said, the best league in the world and probably the worst officials at the minute. It's soul destroying, really. I can understand why the lads are down. He's talking about his own players. Cardiff visibly, the Cardiff players were visibly upset after the full-time whistle. Um, hands between, you know, hand, heads in hands, um, you know, heads down, shoulders shrugged. They just looked defeated in every single way possible. And in a like, I I do feel for them because that was completely unjust. Chelsea should have finished the match with ten men. And, you know, uh, and at best one point uh, because Aspie was so far off sides. Now, as much as I hate Neil Warnock and his parrot-shaped face and his three eyebrow, uh, three eyebrow hairs, 
does he have a point? Like, is there another league with this much controversy in terms of officiating? Or is the British media just kind of blowing this a little bit out of proportion to the point where it gets to managers and gets to teams when something does go wrong? No, he's right. Like, <laughs> he's right. I, I really, like, genuinely haven't seen this much inconsistency across the board on what a call is what and what isn't like for the things that happen in the box we've seen penalties be called obviously with VAR all of those would have been penalties and and that would have solved the yeah issue. that was my next question actually I mean like is VAR going to make a difference next it, season do you it think? will it will because again if you have VAR, if the first five games of the season everyone is still pulling in jerseys in the box and whatnot and they all get called for penalties, guess what? That's not going to happen anymore. Yeah. If if offside goals – I mean, offside goals are obviously the easiest ones to, to fix, right? Mm. Um, the implementation part is what worries me based on the referees that we do have. Like, there is no – like, who is going to teach these awful referees the proper way to do this or the quick way to do this, like – Good God, it, imagine trying to teach Jonathan Moss how to use the VAR screen or something. Right, like that. Like, so it's one of those things where, like, right now they do have the worst batch. Like, again, and I've said this multiple times now, why do you think the World Cup did not bring any English referees? There's mm-hmm. a reason behind that. Good point. They are just at a lower quality right now. And VAR will fix some of those cracks, but it, there has There's to still be going to a... be problems when VIR comes in because, I mean, like, obviously it's just people sitting behind a screen watching a replay a bunch of times. Right. Like, like we've seen it in American sports. We see it all the time. Like, when I first moved here, when in, in American football, when you throw when when you throw the, the, the what's it called, the red flag, it took forever back in the day. Now it's almost instantaneous. More recently in baseball, they added instant replay. And I remember that was a disaster the first season. And now I, I forgot that that's even a, a thing because they're so quick to go to the dugout, look, and come back out, and the decision's made. So implementation is going to be the key, and that will help because it'll make players refrain from doing these lot of kind of like little cheap, dirty things that they can usually get away with. So I think it'll help by like fixing the players more so than fixing the referees. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean – like you're going to teach – it's kind of like the whole thing like Pav, – is it Pavlov's dogs? Yeah, like the yeah, whole yeah. thing. It's like, okay, now I know that I can't really be pulling jerseys. Like, Yeah. And, and it's going to fix these behaviors, which would in turn make the, the referees' lives easier. But there has to be some sort of like gov- governing body that, that kind of draws a line on certain things rather than leave it up for, for heavy interpretation because there's been – Zero consistency in, in what fouls can uh, can draw a yellow card or or how early can you give a yellow card? And like, that's the key. That's the I think the key is consistency because I think when we watch other leagues across Europe um, before the stupid BN Sport bullshit. I mean, like last season, I watched a lot of La Liga. That's usually like the other league that I watch a lot of. Um, the referees in La Liga seem to be a little bit more consistent in terms of what bookable offenses are, what red card offenses are, things like that. It just seemed to be a little bit more consistent, right? This is how many fouls generally a team could get away with before being booked and whatnot. Whereas in the Premier League, I mean, you have some matches where players are getting uh, cautioned in the first 10 minutes and other matches where 
15 to 17 heavy tackles are going in and you don't see the first caution until the 73rd minute. And for me, that's the inconsistent part about the Premier League officiating. Now, another thing is, what is a red card in the Premier League? You cannot put your finger on it because we've seen everything. Uh, every We've seen players get away with everything. We've seen guys get stamped on. We've seen players get uh, get cleated right in and around their knee area, and the person committing the foul gets gets away with it sometimes without even a card at all. And then you got situations like Rudiger. I know we're Chelsea fans here, but Rudiger should have been sent off in that game, and the ref decided to just give him a yellow. And if you don't think Rudiger should have been sent off or not, just watch Rudiger's reaction on a replay. We had NBC Sports over here, and right after Rudiger committed the foul, the camera panned right to him. He's sitting on the floor, and he doesn't want to move. And he doesn't want to turn around and look at the ref because he knows he's going to get a red card. But he turns around, he sees yellow, and he immediately springs up to his feet and starts clapping and like getting his, you know, getting his teammates hyped up. But it's inconsistent. And I guess that's the point that Neil Warnock's trying to make here is that there needs to be some sort of consistency. Coaches, the players, the training staffs, they don't have a firm, confident idea of what is regarded as a foul, as a yellow card offense, as a red card offense, things like that. And I guess that – and I, I, I guess that's the main problem here is the refs just aren't being consistent with the calls day in and day out as a, as a, as a body, as a team of referees. You know, you get one week, you get a referee that gave out 10 red cards in his last 30 matches. And the next week you get a referee that hasn't given out a red card since uh, since the first day of the season in 2014-15. You know, and it's there's just so much inconsistency there. And we've seen players get away with some things in some matches and they don't get away with things in other matches. And, and a big problem that nobody talks about, and I know I'm ranting here a little bit, but it just kind of came to my mind is – we see some decisions being made for the top six clubs that aren't being made for the mid-table clubs or the clubs that are struggling. And Cardiff is a perfect example of this. They should have they should have been playing against a Chelsea team that had 10 men. Neil Warnock has a, a, a very valid point there. And they're only on 28 points. They're three points back from safety or excuse me, five points back from safety. If they win this game against Chelsea, because that foul happened at 1-0, Cardiff was through. It could have been 2-0 at that point. Game, set, match. Would have been over. Chelsea with 10 men, no way we're coming back playing the way we're playing. That would have put them two points behind Burnley and two points from safety. The implications of that match were massive. And that's where I feel bad for Cardiff there is because, like, if they did pull off a win, I mean – they're in a good position to get out of this relegation scrap. But now with that result, watch, come the end of the season, they're only going to be two or three points back of that 17th spot. And if they get relegated, they're going to be looking at that two or three points and saying, we got fucked there because we should have beat Chelsea at home. Um, anyways, that was kind of our last point here, Andres. I mean, uh, is there anything else you want to mention before we kind of wrap things up? Nope. Nothing else. I'm looking forward to the Wednesday game. Hopefully it'll be better than this past weekend's. Yes. So speaking of Wednesday of that Wednesday game, we do play Brighton. Um, 
and normally we would do a match preview, but we were kind of stupid and did the match preview last week on accident. Um, so, you know, don't get mad at us. If you guys want to listen to the match review, just listen to our last episode or, uh, uh, our episode from last week. Um, and then you can kind of get a sense of what Brighton has to offer. And, uh, the only name you really need to know on that team is Glenn Murray anyways, cause he's the only one that scores goals. But, um, yeah, until next week. Keep the blue flag flying high. And guys, don't forget to check out part one of our podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. You could also reach out to us on our Gmail, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. I am officially done talking. Andres is officially done talking. And we will see you guys next week.